Welcome to Savage Starlight, the officially unofficial podcast for The Last of Us on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking Season 1, Episode 5, Endure and Survive. Aaron, what do you think of this episode? Uh, it's great. It's amazing. Like, I don't know if it will top Episode 3. I wonder if anything will top kind of like the stand, the largely standalone Episode 3. But whereas that doesn't didn't feel... You know, it, it it deviated a lot from the video game. It didn't feel very much like the video game. This episode felt more so than almost anything else like I was playing the video game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really kind of explored the charms of that. There's this an interesting line that they had in the official podcast where Craig was musing about how they've talked about a lot of times the show has enriched the game. And they talked about, you know, Bill and Frank as that that relationship fleshed out. I, for one, if I go back and play The Last of Us Part 1, I'll be thinking that backstory, you know, when I finally meet Bill and Frank's not there. Like, you know, it's something that will probably enrich that section. And they talk about how this instance, this episode is a a case where the game kind of enriches the show. Whereas, you know, um, you just get a taste of that, like, playhouse, schoolroom-ish kind of thing. And if you ever go back and play the game or watch a game through, that will be more poignant for you. So I, I thought it's I thought it's really neat. And then, yeah, like they just pulled out all the stops in that last sequence. It was yeah. incredible. And I watched the behind the scenes. I listened to the podcast. It took them three weeks of night shoots to get all that. And it looks like it. It's just amazing. Yeah, I, I love this episode. And I watched it a couple more times and enjoy, found it enjoyable through uh Throughout my experience with it, what about you, Jim? Yeah, I, I don't always um, thoroughly enjoy the official podcast, but this week was really good. It shed a lot of insight into what's going through a bunch of uh, characters' heads. Uh, it's all there on screen, but it just points it out uh, for people who are maybe not as observant like me um, and didn't get it on the the first couple watches. But yeah, I, I really like this episode. I I'm also. <laughs> thinking, hmm, is this my new favorite episode of The Last of Us? Because it does kind of everything in this episode, right? It has those heartfelt moments. It has, it doesn't maybe have uh, the same beauty that episode three did uh, in Mm -hmm. its storytelling, but it gets to some very emotional moments and it has some incredible action scenes, uh, characters to root for, characters to really despise, and... Yeah, I found myself coming away from this on a second watch going, wow, that's way better than I thought it was the first time around. Yeah, and I I, I think the two young men they had filming this stuff, Lamar Johnson is, mm-hmm. is Henry, and he does a really good job, um, again, of playing a guy who is just extremely exhausted, um, internally tormented and scared to death for himself and for his brother. Uh, but what I, I, I think is really amazing is uh, Kevon Woodward. They talk about how usually when you um, audition for a part like that, you might get 75, 80 with this kind of you know production, prestige, and all that kind of stuff. They had five people because it was such a, we're looking for a black kid between the age of 8 and 11 who uh, is authentically deaf, um, who also can act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thankfully out of that you know that 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 small group of five they found uh, Kivan 
and he did a great job. He did a great job of it's like I think it's it's a testament to the direction and also his skill that you when you get a child that actually acts authentically childlike. Mm-hmm. Most time when you see children acting, you you you, you know uh, they're not really being authentic children. They're being like stage children. Mm-hmm. You know everything's just a little too turned up to them. Or but this is just a very natural kid performance. And um, you know they talked about how uh, his lack of hearing, you know, changes. You know, like what could be a very stale format that you've got the older protector reassuring the younger person who's being protected and the, a lot of dialogue's the same that you've seen from Joel and Ellie. So, you know, you make one of them uh, uh, deaf and now you have a different, it's, it's quieter, it's more intimate. Um, it, the pacing's different. Uh, there's a little bit of barrier, a little bit of extra juice between the first, you know, uh, initial conflict between the two groups. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a great idea. And a lot of the other small changes they made from the game, like, uh, the sniper scene is set during the day. It's brightly lit. Um, it's just better to be at night. It's better. The fire mm-hmm. lighting, everything, <laughs> making this badass savage backdrop between it. It's, it, it's amazing. Yeah, sure. And then, then, then the best part, uh, we finally got the savage starlight, uh uh-huh. appearance in, in perhaps the best episode of the season maybe so, that's why it's my favorite i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it did feel really good and i gotta say um we got a real everyone got a kick out of it uh everyone was cheering along with us it seemed like mm-hmm. we had a, a lot of res- lot, a lot of engagement with uh because like when it happened i actually already had a a, a picture of savage starlight on my phone ready to go it's like one of these episodes is going to be ready <laughs> and like within seconds of it happening i just posted like it's an ha- it's happening with uh-huh. that that picture and that thing took off so uh it's really exciting should i i, I wonder if do you want should we? I did a little bit of research into the Savage Starlight, you know, like the comics themselves, because honestly, I didn't pay much attention to them when I was playing the game. Do you think it would be interesting for people to talk about, like, what is Savage Starlight? Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be great. Um, I'm not going to go into the entire storyline because, surprise, surprise, there are thematic spoilers, I think. Um, and it's interesting because, like, you pick up these issues out of order. So, like, some of the mm-hmm. things I would say arguably spoil the end of the game, uh, you get, f- like, midway through, but, you you know, you have no idea where things are going, so it's just kind of, like, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. And this is something that, uh, according to Neil Druckmann, was an intentional homage to uh, The Watchmen, which if you... You, if you read the comic, you, this is not in the the video. This is not in the movie unless you get like the super duper expanded director's edition where they went and reinserted them. But there's a whole storyline about... Uh, this this pirate comic book that a young kid is reading in between the actual comics that are telling the story of the Watchmen. So you've got the Watchmen story, uh, the Zack Snyder film, and then you had this 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 black hearted tale of pirate revenge. Um, so the Savage Starlight is about a young woman who lives in the 22nd century. She's this brilliant scientist. Uh, she's developed a faster than light travel uh, engine. Uh, her name is Dr. Daniela Starr, which is where you get the Savage Starlight. And in the first episode, she sends out uh, a vessel outfitted with an engine out of the solar system on a test run. These comic books are found in the world. Like, you'll just be searching for, you know, your alcohol and your knives and your stuff you can make bombs and shivs out of. And then you'll see, oh, there's a comic book. And you pick it up and Joel can look at the cover 
and he can like spin it over and look at the blurb on the back, you know, like the like paragraph. So like all this tech, all this story just comes from the cover image and the blurb on the back. So in the second episode, they quickly lose touch with their uh, test pilot, but he returns 48 later, 48 hours later, transformed. And he speaks in a monotone voice. We are the travelers. So and if you look on the cover, this this guy strapped to the seat looks like he's got Borg shit all over him. So they hmm. have sent this guy out faster in alive. He instantly gets snatched by this uh, kind of techno organic virus called the travelers. You can see the parallels between the main story of the last of us. Then in the third episode, uh, this becomes a military matter. And Dr. Daniela star gets paired with the grizzled experienced captain uh, James Ryan who bears a superficial resemblance to Joel. And if you've ever seen the comics, you'll see that Dr. Daniela Starr bears a superficial resemblance to Ellie. And it continues to chronicle their increasingly desperate fight against the Travelers as they come up with the crossroads and try different super weapons and try to defend the dwindling remains of humanity, have to make sacrifices. And a lot of those twists and turns parallel things that will happen to Joel and Ellie in the game. So I can't mm-hmm. talk anymore without starting to get yeah, to... Yeah arguable game stories but if you're wondering like what the fuck is savage Star- starlight and how is this integrated to the game it's just uh and i and it's completely optional you can play the game and if you don't go into like the dark nooks and crannies of the levels and really thoroughly scavenge uh mm-hmm. you might not even get half of these comics um yeah i love the scene it, where they're like which issues do you have because i didn't pick them all up so right 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 right. so they're like spotty and all that stuff and, and mm-hmm. you, you get a special achievement if you find you know, hunt down all 14 you get the uh endure and survive achievement uh awarded to you in the game but it, it's just a little fun and and uh <laughs> obviously we were hoping to get a little endure and survive love uh and we finally did so there, there we go nice that's savage starlight all right. Well, I think we should get into the recap here. What do you think? Yes, let's do it. Now's the time to endure and survive. We'll be back with more Savage Starlight. We're getting geared up for the sixth annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. 
the thrills of King's Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R.R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Just so we're clear about back there, it was either us or the ad. Welcome back to more Savage Starlight. All right, we start off with a flashback to the resistance in Kansas City or Killer City. Taking uh, the QZ from Fedra, it's extremely violent. They show no mercy to Fedra or their collaborators. Henry and Sam are on the run, hiding from the resistance. Uh, Boy, it... it (laughs) This scene, man, this is a lot, um, especially that final shot of the body being dragged with all the knives in it. Oof. And there's one with their eyes gouged out, people just being executed and lynched. Beaten. Um, stripped nude and drug around behind vehicles like to get a little bit of a Black Hawk Down Somalia disaster mixed into there. And it's also like I, I was listening, you know, I watched the Super Bowl last night, obviously, and... Uh, you, know, you got the national anthem and it starts off with, you know, the, the the rockets, red glare. And the first image you see is a red flare being shot into the sky. And I wondered if that was like intentional that like, you know, mm-hmm. this is a revolution against a tyrannical government. And this, you know, it's got the we the people spray painted on their sides like it's really directly tying this back to, you know, other maybe more successful revolutions. You see this and it's kind of sickening. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, no, I I thought uh, it it did what it it did what it meant to do, which is make you wonder. My God, how did it get this bad? How did these people get in charge, and why are they so vicious now that they? You know, it's like we've we've seen the Boston yeah. quarantine zone. Like, I don't know, did those those that that nice lady that euthanized that little boy with tears in her eyes? Does she deserve to get fucking knived and drug around? I don't know, but right. Yeah, I mean, Kansas we find City. out the KC the uh, Fedra is a little worse than your typical Fedra. They're, or, yeah. l- they're legendarily bad. Um, yeah. Still, I mean, the, the entire point of scenes like this and scenes to come in the episode is to say, is this justice? Um, yes. You know, how, when you do something to protect the people you love or, or gain back your freedom... You know what? What is the aftermath of that like um, when you win the thing? Is it is it yeah. one where you can feel 
like you've you've done things that you're proud of or one where you're going to feel ashamed and guilty for the things you've had to do um i don't know i don't know it's it's a open question on this entire group here i think and even if in your eyes it's justice and it goes on for the exact appropriate amount of time the people who the justice is being dispensed upon how do they feel about it oh sure if they ever get if they ever get the levers of power what are they going to do and then what are you like yeah like where where does this shit end is one of the questions i think the last of us uh asks totally all right, uh, Kathleen interrogates some Fedra collaborators to get information about Henry. She finds out that her doctor, Edelstein, helped them. Uh, then she has all the collaborators killed and their bodies burned and sends her goons to sweep door-to-door looking for Edelstein and Henry. It seems like it's a bad idea to offer people deals and then immediately show that they're <laughs> bullshit, you know? Like it's 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 one of those things yeah. where Kathleen's not entirely playing from what I would call an operational deck. Says this is a bad long term play, um, I think. But in the short term, like they plan on killing all of these people anyway, right? If you're, <laughs> it's one of those things where like if you're not on the wrong side, what do you have to fear? Sort of stuff, right? People are probably cheering that on. People are probably well, like, so, yeah, fucking kill him. I, I well, they've so Perry, treated us so badly. How do you think Perry felt about it? Was he like relieved that they're not? Because I, I, when I, I got it, especially on subsequent viewings, when he's like, are we going to put these people on trial? And she's like, of course not. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he was asking, like, are we going to put these fucking people on trial? Jesus Christ. I was thinking he's like, like, kind of hopeful. Are we really going to put these people on trial? Or are we going to try to put some mm-hmm. kind of actual justice and him being, you know, because it was also in the context of him saying, like, are we sure that we want to, like, we've got this city in a chokehold. We can just wait and Henry will we'll catch Henry and her being like, no, this is my top priority. There's nothing more important than finding Henry and bringing him to justice. And that yeah. bothered him, too. I don't know that it bothers him because he's ethically or morally opposed to it. I think it bothers him because. Henry is taking away from things that are also important. Like you saw him show her the massive bubbling hole in right. that building in the, in the ground in that building last episode. And she just kind of ignored it. She's just like, Oh, whatever he knows uh-huh. that's super important. And if he takes all of his men and goes searching after Henry, he's not going to have the manpower to do anything about the bigger problems that he sees. Like Henry, right. Henry is, no longer a concern, right? You can let Henry go in his eyes. It doesn't really matter. Uh, But she's so laser-focused on the guy who killed her brother. That's why I think he's less than thrilled about going after Henry so hard. Uh, I I don't think he has a real problem killing these people. I I mean, I I don't get that impression, especially when he comes to her and says, we're all behind you, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, we're, We're all with you. Yeah, I don't know, because it feels like the the way the episode's structured is you are kind of like, how do I feel about Kathleen? If you want to give her a fair shake, obviously she walks on the scene with this this first uh, uh, this first scene and a lot of people like, nope, I don't need any more murderous kindergarten teacher. Fuck this lady in particular. Uh, Fuck her. I was like, I thought it was interesting that the show continued to stack thumbs <laughs> it mm-hmm. wasn't just one thumb on the scale there's multiple thumbs as you went on and you f- figure you know it's like oh she's kind of like hypocritical and bloodthirsty and her you know competent second command is kind of unsure of her orders 
Uh, but she's also got like a highly personal thing. Like obviously like this thing that Henry goes beyond just like, you know, the needs of the community and uh, pursuing justice. But this is essentially like a scar that's been ripped open from her since her childhood. Uh, then you go to her, like just ca- the way she feels about like children in general and the, the way the world mm-hmm. is and who should live and who should die. And she just becomes more and more morally repugnant until yeah. she's executed by a clicker child. Which, you know, when we get to that, there's a lot of irony in that. But, um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah, it feels like uh, (laughs) anybody comes out of this episode thinking that Kathleen is what Kansas City needed. um, I don't know. I guess I disagree with her politics. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a couple of things, both a little bit of, like, foreshadowing and symmetry here where she tells these people, um, you know, she gets information out of them. And then he's like, I, I told you everything I know. And she's like, of course you did. You're a rat. Yeah. Uh, that's going to come back later when Joel calls Henry that, uh, I think, unfairly, right? And he'll he'll eventually apologize for it. Kathleen does no such thing. Um, I tell you, there's two instances of sound design that I thought were really amazing. One was as soon as she said, kill them, the like instant reaction a crowd crowd has like this. It sounds like 30 or 40 people instantly like crying and being alarmed and out like that. I felt like they nailed that. Hmm. Uh, and then the other one is uh, Bella's reaction to Henry killing himself, which we can talk about when we get there. But like, I, I thought it's like, it's chilling. I was listening to this, my surround sound. And as soon as she says, kill them, just like this, this inhuman sound that comes up from the rats, you know, um, mm-hmm. was pretty, pretty brutal, pretty brutal. Yeah. And then, um, as Kathleen's leaving, she says, burn the bodies. Uh, we've seen these bodies. I think we saw those bodies outside. Uh, yes, you're the right. QZ when Joel and Ellie were driving by, we, we get a look at them. I don't think they did, which I find interesting. They kind of don't know what they're walking into here, but there's so much more, context there now for those bodies and it's really gotcha. chilling yeah on a second yeah. watch i bet that that particular shot is going to be way more powerful yeah uh so then we go to henry and sam they make it to the safe house that they've arranged with edelstein uh he's also there they take stock of their supplies uh, they have 11 days of food no ammo henry plans to sneak out into the tunnels but they have to figure out how to reach them and they have to wait out kathleen's kind of search here Get the lay of the land. Uh, Sam is scared, and Henry calms him with a giant bag of crayons, since he likes to draw. This is probably too many crayons to carry in the apocalypse when you're on the run from an angry mob. (laughs) I did wonder how many uh, Kansas City revolutionary leaders you had to trade for this sheer quantity of crayons, Mm -hmm. or what preschool you had to rob, because there's no fucking way. (laughs) There's no fucking way you just found, I don't know, Henry, I don't know. That could yeah. that, that five hundred kids could have colored with those crayons and were lavishing <laughs> it on one. This uh, is this is the amount of crayons <laughs> that like Bob Evans keep kept on hand yeah. in the nineties or whatever. Right, that's how they go through that in an average shift, you know, uh-huh. uh, of kids menus. It's uh, I don't know. That's the other question they kind of raise, which I don't think it has great answers to. I think it's different depending on who you ask and what period time period and the circumstances, but like, what is one person's life worth? Who gets things lavished on them? Who gets allowed to dwindle and die? Who gets put down? Who gets saved? Um, Cause clearly a lot of effort is being expended to, 
to to save Sam in the first place and keep him alive. Mm-hmm. And then when that all turns to ash in Henry's mouth at the end of the episode, oh my god, it really pays off. But like, oh yeah, you know, uh, it's fair for Kathleen to wonder. It's like, why was Sam worth all this? Sam had cancer. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. sad. He's going to die. You need the expensive medicine to pay for. What gave you the right to betray like one of the most righteous man in Kansas City? That's a good question. It's a fucking mm-hmm. good question. And it's I don't know if murdering same... children is the answer to it, but it's a it's right. a hell of a good question. Yeah, and, and it, you know they they do a lot with like the the concept of family, specifically brothers here, right? Because Kathleen yeah. is also going through her own thing uh, with her brother's death, Michael, uh, the Perry, Perry's probably questioning exactly the same things, right? Like what, how far are we willing to go to get this woman vengeance for her brother's death? Um, right. So, yeah, I, I, I think they've done some really good mirrored storytelling here. Especially since the only justification for what you know, Kathleen's idea of justice and, and serving the community is, is gotta be the one that Fedra gave too. We're keeping people safe. Mm-hmm. You know, we're doing these terrible things. I mean, that, that's, that's the other thing she can tout, right? Is like KC is free. So, but they're not, that's the thing. They're not going to be free. The reason the people aren't free sure. is because there's horrifying mushroom zombies walking around totally. the whole fucking world. So you're going to have to be in a, some kind of quasi police state, or you can live outside and take your chances with that. Yeah, um, but when people come promising you freedom from a regime that's been raping, murdering, right. and torturing you for 20 years, I, I think freedom is a pretty attractive thing, even if it's a false yeah, freedom. No. I I agree, but it's just like the uh, they just have to worry the the, the context because it's like all it's all essentially utilitarianism at the end. You know, the means the, the ends justify the means. Uh, whatever you decide the ends are is good. Maybe it's freedom. Maybe it's protection. Um, maybe mm-hmm. it's finding a cure. Uh, if if the ends do justify the means, then there is nothing that you can do that's reprehensible in pursuing those goals, right? Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's the trap that Kathleen's fallen in here is that she has decided her cause is just uh, righteous and just. She's have a whole bunch of people behind her back pumping her up and telling her that she's got her personal feelings about her brother Michael. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's really push. That's that's a really freight train out of control at this point. Yeah, that's an extremely dangerous place for any leader to be in because that's how you inadvertently uh, commit atrocities and war crimes and things. Uh, even if you don't intend to, you just say, yeah. well, the the end goal is justifying all of this. It'll be okay. One, we just got to push through this, right? Well, and the thing is, is like that's the thing about all these things is they're not universally true or false. Like... Uh-huh. You can have a, uh, like an open, peaceful society that has to at some point decide whether they're going to be extinguished by a belligerent outside force or they're going to start killing people back, you know, mm-hmm. and then it's like, well, do we kill people with these weapons, but not these weapons? And but what if things get desperate enough and your back is against a wall and you're really are you going to are you really going to? Well, this is, well, these are illegal weapons. Uh, it's. Uh, yeah, and again, there's no, and, and there's not a universal cop enforcing these laws. So what if one right. side is willing to do the things that are reprehensible, and it's it's allowing them to win? Do you just like, well, shit, they they just they just rolled. So it's I I don't know. I think these things are really fascinating, and usually we're debating them at the nation state level, 
mm-hmm. like oh was it right to firebomb draw dresden was it right to drop the bomb in hiroshima was it you know the uh should we use medical information derived from nazi scientist research etc cetera, etc cetera. here it's personal yeah. Can, does this one seven-year-old boy get to live and the hero of kansas city get to die and by the end of the episode, when you kind of come to the grim realization that probably all of Kansas City is going to be killed, uh-huh. they're all going to die. And the root proximal cause is Sam getting cancer treatment. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I suppose like, so. I guess maybe Fedra, like, you know, it's, it's the mushrooms taken over, has a problem with Fedra yeah, being right, right. like fucking Uber, Uber Nazi assholes has something to do with it. But like that was stable for 20 years and people were living Mm-hmm. And now they're not a whole city's yeah. worth because a handful of people made decisions. That's incredible and frightening. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, Ten days later, they're running out of food in the hideout. Edelstein hasn't returned with any new supplies. Turns out he's not going to return. Uh, he's probably dead, as Henry tells Sam. Also, Kathleen's goons are still swarming around the city. So the next morning, Henry decides it's time to go. He paints a mask onto Super Sam for courage, and they start to leave, uh, but they see the shootout with Joel go down, and Henry decides to follow him. Uh, I couldn't help but notice Joel noticing Henry in this uh, window, which I think is just showing you that Henry's a little sloppy. Henry's not as cautious as he should be. Yeah. uh, And and we'll see this play out many times over the course of this episode. Sure. Sure. Do you think that Joel actually saw him or did he see something move? Because I was wondering if he actually was because it didn't seem like Joel recognized him. Uh And I think that Joel would meet anyone that wakes him up in the middle of the night with a gun to his head as gruffly as he does Henry. But I also wondered, was there a little bit of like, I fucking know you. And that's could be. That's why Joel was unusually kind of like, fuck you and ballsy in the begging for the life phase that (laughs) maybe, maybe. I know, he definitely notices at least a person is watching, right? Yeah, that like dude, eye contact is made made yes. briefly. Um, it seems wild that Henry holds up for until all of his food is gone. I guess it's because yeah. like the soldiers were just, you know, they're doing, they're on the street doing con- patrols and stuff. Do I buy that no one has found this place in eleven days? And they don't show do us the underside of this hatch. I really want to know what it looks like. From... Is it like a Diary of Anne Frank situation where it's like you're trying to find a hidden attic in a city that's largely been abandoned and it's just completely seamless? From... Yeah. 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 It might not be apparent at all that there's another room up there. Uh, I don't Especially know. Especially when they uh... found that the, the ladder was deployed. Like if you uh-huh. are walking through this burnt out building and you know you didn't even maybe it's so seamless you don't even see the hatch. I I wondered that too, but it just seems like man, the thing you don't want to do is wait until you're completely out of food and now you're going to try to escape. And then you get outside the right. city and then what? Mm-hmm. You're outside the city with no fucking food. Um, maybe try to find this gap six days ago when you still had to dock with that. Eh, anyway, I'm I'm armchair quarterbacking this 17 <laughs> year old survival strategy. Right, right. It's, it's fun uh, to do sometimes, you know? I, I really like this scene. I love the, the interaction between the two brothers here. The one who feels, you know, this uh, t- sort of paternal uh, responsibility toward his brother now. Um, yeah. Trying to keep him alive. And the eight-year-old kid who 
realizes they're in trouble, um, is worried that his brother is scared. Uh, there's another thing that, that comes back later, right? Uh, he'll ask, you know, Ellie later, um, why, why don't you ever look scared? Uh, and yeah, I, I just feel like Lamar Johnson in this episode is like somebody to watch now for me. He, I find him just instantly likable, um, both from his yeah. like no nonsense way of dealing with Joel and also his just super caring, uh, relationship that he has with his brother. I was super impressed with his stuff. There's something to him. It reminds me, remember when we saw, um, Gosh, I don't know if this is uh, who is it. Jonathan Majors for the first time in uh, the Five uh-huh. Bloods. Yeah, and like, man, this guy seems like he's got it. Uh, and then he got Marvel swollen, blew up everywhere, and he's going to be Creed three. And yeah, he's in one of the coolest yeah. cowboy movies in the last five years. A Lovecraft I, Country. Yeah, he's and yeah, just a ton of great stuff. I agree. I think Lamar Johnson, somebody to keep uh, keep your eye on. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's super sweet when he paints the mask on his brother. It's so cute. This is this is just like the crayons earlier, right? He's trying to he's trying to distract him, but also he's being remarkably honest with him too. Like, do you think he's coming back, uh, or do you think he's dead? Probably yes. That's that's a really hard thing to tell a kid. I liked how they framed it in the official podcast. Um, they were saying basically Henry is at the point where. He's going to say what needs to be said, whether it's the truth or not. And in this case, it's the truth because he needs to impress upon Sam how important it is that they leave right now. And if he were to kind of sugarcoat this, it wouldn't get it wouldn't get that point across nearly as well. And I found it both heartbreaking, but mm-hmm. also it, I, I, I just I really liked how it played out there because it's it's sad to have to tell a kid. Yeah. That person that we know is dead and probably not coming back, but it also was super important to do so in that moment. Yeah. I thought those reflections on your role and the role of honesty and parenting that they had between Craig and Neil and the podcast were really, really insightful. Cause it's like, yeah, you don't want to, you know, you don't want your kid to have like play by play blow and the like, Oh, dad lost a job. And, things are going to be tight or, you know, grandma, you know, mm-hmm. has got, I got a lump in her neck and you, you, but, but also kids need to know that things are going to affect them long-term, you know, like if the turns out it's benign, then they don't need to know that there was a week there that we're losing our minds because grandma might die. Um, but you know, if, it, if she does have cancer, then at some point you have to sit down and explain the kids, like what the nature of death means and what this is going to mean for them and what it's going to mean for grandma. And, you know, mm-hmm. you can't protect them because it's going to happen. Now you're just talking, you're talking about preparing them and keeping them safe. And I felt like that's exactly what it felt like Henry was doing. He wasn't doing this because yeah. he was out of control or emotional or rational. It's matter of fact. And this is the stuff you need to know so you can be safe, kid. Mm-hmm. So Henry and Sam find, or I guess track Joel and Ellie to the tower uh, and evade their glass alarm. They put guns on them. This is the scene we saw last episode. And then it continues. They managed to convince Joel that they want uh, to help him get out of the city. And then they all kind of put their guns down. Uh, I love Joel's. That's a weird fucking tone, man. (laughs) That's just the way he sounds. He has an asshole voice. Tell him he's okay. And then he does the everything's great in in like the same tone. (laughs) It's just like, dude. 
Yeah, that dude was you're so, gonna get us so killed. fucking Ellie. Th- that's a dude that says you're about to get us killed, man. But it's such a, like an yeah. Ellie way to say it, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you think that Joel knew? Because it, I felt like it was pretty ballsy to be that like menacing with you're like, yeah, everything's gonna be great. Just wait till you lower that gun, you <laughs> fucking punk. I don't know that he can help it. I, this might have been Joel trying to say everything's great in a way that calms the situation, <laughs> and it just came He's... out as asshole voice. Yeah, he just can't help. He just can't help it. He's under a lot of stress, this Joel. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, that was great from all parties. Really love that. And it exchange. continues into the next scene where they're sitting, you know, around the, the, the camp lantern having food. And, like, Joel is just burning a hole in Henry's face because you can just tell that sharing his food. He's like, God damn, this is three days out of our rations. Mm-hmm. For what? That you know, it's uh, it, it takes Joel a while to move to, to to warm up to these these kids. Yeah, and he's given the food mostly to Sam, right? It's not. It's I true. feel like he's, he's less concerned with extra, Henry than than the give kid, an extra yeah. ration to the kid because that's who Joel is. Totally, uh, he did that with Ellie when he first found her, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, good scene there. Uh, the sun comes up, and Henry tells Joel what happened in KC, his plan for getting out through the tunnels, uh, and why he needs Joel to get out, because he can't handle himself in a fight. And he also says some things about the city and the the infected. Uh, apparently, they were driven into the tunnels by Fedra, but uh, they also told Henry that they were cleared a few years ago, and Joel agrees to keep them alive if Henry shows them the way out. Um. So yeah, I, 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 what do you want to talk about this scene? Because there's one that I want to talk about this this notion of Fedra driving the infected underground. Okay. Well, yeah, let's do it. This is a cool idea, and it worked out really well for the episode. But mm-hmm. I would fucking love to see the driving underground operation. Yeah. That is somehow easier and better than just killing the infected. Like, like a bunch of riot shields and you're just in a line pushing them like how did that or, work no i'm thinking like you gotta have like garbage trucks with snow plows and you're just kind of okay. like hurling right. this snarling <laughs> thing it's a, they're, they're, there's there's they'd be scrambling over you and like uh-huh. yeah yeah like it'd be one thing if they're slow moving zombies like the walking dead where you could get a loudspeaker on a a, a dirt bike or something and like right, and them, them into a subway tunnel and blast you know but like these things are so fast and agile and strong. How the hell are you going to corral that clicker girl? Uh huh. <laughs> it's like trying to get a cat in a cat carrier, right. uh, except for it's your fucking size. It's lethal if it bites you once, and there's a thousand of them, uh-huh. and they all don't want to go in their fucking cat carrier. I I I would love to see a, a visualization of how they think this would fucking work. Yeah. Maybe they maybe they're smarter. Maybe in KC they were smarter than the average Fedra agent. Um, is there a chance that they could use the mycelium network underground to mm. like trigger, like go step on a piece of it somewhere in the tunnels, draw them all yeah. in, uh, kind yeah. of outsmart the fungus, right? Because that's the only real yeah. weapon we have against them is our brain. That's actually now again how you keep the rest of the city from stepping on anything while you're doing this one very particular. But <laughs> sure, like, yeah, okay, yeah. that actually. But not, I mean, I, I kind of sincerely do because like I would love to see mm-hmm. like an anim anim animatrix style animated thing. It's like you yeah, know, ten minutes short cool. of fed fed the battle for Kansas City or whatever. Definitely, because it happened fifteen years ago too. Mm-hmm. I wonder if one of the things you're supposed to under- appreciate is Fedra. Once they beat the mushroom without 
the once they defeated the mushrooms, they didn't really have any reason for existence. You know, like the the oppression Olympics that they roll huh. yeah, uh, yeah. is no longer needed. So it gets like virulent, like it just gets to be pure without a mission. It just turns into corruption and, you know, even an unusual high degree of barbarism. Yeah, that it's can like make they're a victim of, of their own success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, they certainly sounded pretty bad. I mean, Henry, if if Joel had heard of them way out in Boston about how notoriously bad they were and Henry confirms, yeah, they did all that shit. Yeah, we're in uh, Kansas City. There's no internet. There's no cell phones. Nope. There's no radio network. Like word. This is word of mouth, man. Word of mouth, bull. Kansas City Federal. Who don't want to fuck with them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's pretty dark. I, th- there is a moment of levity here that I really love. This the kids laughing over this stupid pun book. It's yes. it's so cute, and and both Joel and Henry at the same time kind of realizing, you know, I. I haven't seen that in a while, the smile, right? And it's great. I mean, yeah, kids laughing. They figured this out in Monsters, Inc. Turns out you can power city off of that shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, and if you, you, you probably hear it so rarely, like, Sam, you know, when's the last time he's heard Sam giggle like that? Uh, right. It's a nice moment. Nice moment for the, the adult and the pseudo adult in the room. Watch out for that fungus. We'll be right back with more Savage Starlight. We found something to fight for. This podcast. Welcome back to Savage Starlight. The other thing that struck me here is now that Joel has agreed to escort them, he's really loading up on kids. Like, he didn't want to have one kid in the picture at the beginning. Now there are two. And then you see, like, the castle drawing on the the safe house in the the tunnels later. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, how many kids are he going to add to his his Pikmin pack here? Uh, but yeah, I find it hilarious that he keeps like accumulating the kids. Person that hates kids and hates video games the most ends up being like a bussing tables at Chuck E. Cheese. Uh huh. Like, ah, oh, how the hell did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Henry leads the group through a bank into the tunnels. Ellie gets her gun out, which is a nice moment for her. Uh, they go through the tunnels and eventually come across an abandoned underground hideout. And they decide they're going to wait here for nightfall. And Ellie and Sam find a Savage Starlight comic. They play a little bit of soccer. (laughs) And then Joel apologizes uh, for calling Henry a rat, given that Henry was doing it all for Sam. And Sam kind of fills in the gaps for him. Uh, He betrayed the leader of the resistance, which is Kathleen's brother, Michael, and got him killed in exchange for Sam's leukemia meds. And when Henry starts asking about Joel's past... Joel decides, oh, we got to go, guys. Uh, right now. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you wonder, because you find ish is settlements. This is a big, you know, we talked about this. This is a, this is one of those things, again, you don't have to engage with this part of the story. It's an area that you go through while you're going with Henry and Sam through the tunnels, this, this, this warren of tunnels beneath in the game. It's Pittsburgh, I believe. Um, but if you do sneak around, you look at the notes and you can see how this these people like worked really hard to build up the settlement and you know its rise and how sophisticated it got and how many people were there and then its its eventual fall. In the show, it feels like maybe this is something that a Fedra agent or two were you know kind of like I mentioned on the 
the the the the instant take the kind of Schindler's listing trying to serve you know save maybe children in particular from the horrors that's going on with the Fedra. And I wonder if like Fedra driving the infected underground is what fucked up Isha's house. It could be. Yeah. Like um, you, you got this hidden place and then all of a sudden they just pump every infected in the in the city down in your domain essentially. Mhm. Yeah, it could be that. Um could be that you have a lot of kids around and when they get scared, they don't always inform people of everything they don't make the best decisions um well you saw the rules on the board like play quietly no loud outbursts and you see like ellie and sam playing and that's like that's like how you gonna play soccer underground and not make any noise you know it's like at some point it's like you have to decide are you going to live at all and if you are going to live that's going to you know open up a little little vulnerability little weakness yeah Absolutely. Um, There's a moment early on that kind of highlights how, I guess, incautious Henry is. And boy, we'll talk about a big one later in this episode. Uh, But in this, it's he gets down into the tunnels. They open the first door. He doesn't see any infected. He's like, aha, see, I told you my plan's good. And Joel's like, you idiot. We've been down here two seconds. Right. Let's let's at least figure out what we're dealing with before you declare victory. It is funny that on the second watch through, you realize that they just got extraordinarily lucky. Yeah. All the undead were in another section of the tunnels, and they didn't see one. Uh, uh-huh. You know, who knows? Maybe they're like, maybe it takes something like a giant explosion to wake them up, or to really disturb the mycelium mycelium network. But like, yeah, I just kept on thinking, you know, because it's very different. I had a very different experience in a video game in those fucking tunnels. Let me tell you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't able to conserve ammo. I didn't find going through those <laughs> tunnels. Um, but it's funny because it, it does. It's it's such a great way to pace the episode because there's so many things where like, oh, they could almost get caught here. Oh, they could almost get caught here. And like, oh, they're going down the tunnels. Oh, Jesus, Joel, Joel's telling Ellie to get his her gun out. Like, oh, it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And then and then you find like the creepy child school, and nope, everything just works. No, no, unf- and it's it. You kind of have this like ratcheting tension and release, ratcheting tension, release, ratcheting, and it finally hits at the very end of the episode. Oh, it's so effective. Yeah, in the biggest way possible, right? It's like all that tension that you thought you were leaving over the course yeah. of this episode just comes back ten, yeah. tenfold. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, what do you think about Ellie's reaction when Joel says, get your gun out? What was its re- her reaction? <laughs> She's got this. So, So first off... She reaches into her pocket to pull the gun out, which is bad news, right? Because Joel told her to keep it in her pack. Keep it in her pack. Oh, right, right. Right. So she knows that she did something Joel didn't want her to do, and she gives this face like she's super excited to be told to get her gun out, right? Because she wants to use this gun. She wants to feel like she's in control here of her own destiny. Um, But she also knows that she's done this thing that Joel doesn't approve of. So... There's just this really goofy look on her face that says, yeah, I might have done a bad thing, but we're in it now. So what are you going to do? <laughs> it's really I good. also there's there's another funny thing where, uh, you know, Henry does his first like, see, plan's great. And he's yelling in this dark hall, this dark uh, tunnel. And, uh, you know, Joel gives him the speech about we just got down here. And he's like, man, your dad's really a pessimist. And they both do the like, he's not she, my dad. I'm not her dad at the same time. I thought that was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. 
And then Henry trying to like build that bridge again, like, you know, uh, he was kind yeah. of wary to tell Joel the full story because Joel earlier, we didn't talk about this, but Joel earlier when he says, I'm a collaborator, he's like, I don't work with rats. Mm-hmm. You know, even though Joel, yeah, uh, Joel doesn't love Fedra. Well, yeah, that's why it's, 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 Joel doesn't love Fedra. Um, but like, yeah, it he, was kind of a risk for Henry to reveal this. And I don't know what, I don't know what, how Joel actually feels about it. It's one of those things where I don't think he can condemn henry but like mm-hmm. it is a fucking that's a hell of a decision to make that like i'm gonna save my brother at the expense of the leader of this the 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 big hope but also you hear perry later talk about how her brother didn't wasn't able to do anything wasn't able to really engender change and it wasn't until his death so like right to forgive to yeah how yeah. do you how do you score the moral calculus here i think joel's scoring it uh in in respect to what he would have done to keep sarah right. safe uh, and we've seen like Joel doesn't pull over to the side of the highway to help a, f- a family nope. if he thinks his family's at nope. risk. Like he, you see the pecking order that he keeps in his life. So like I think yeah, I think Joel, if Sarah needed chemo medicine and the fucking president of the United Quarantine Zones was the only guy who had it, he'd probably kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, I think so. Uh, and then that final moment where you know he starts asking about Joel's past and Joel. It, Joel is so afraid of the emotional peril in front of him that he's willing to put them all into physical peril because he's more equipped to deal with that, right? I I just love that particular shading of Joel. I would rather go into this in the middle of the day where we will more likely get spotted than have a conversation with you about what I'm feeling. Yeah. Because uh, he's like, once you unleash, once you uncork that dam... Yeah, clearly he's built a whole lot up, a whole oh, yeah. lot behind that wall to contain so he can continue to endure and survive. Uh, and if he if he lets that floodgate open a little bit, geez, like I think he's really afraid that it would compromise him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they kind of need the Joel they know right now. So yep. probably a smart decision. Uh, all right, Perry finds Kathleen in the room she grew up in. He has no good news about finding Henry or the guy who killed Brian. Okay, Joel. Uh, she tells Perry a story about be- her being scared as a child and her brother comforting her in this room. She also says that she's not as forgiving as he is and won't let his death go. And Perry confirms that they're all with her. Yeah, this is um, her realization and her po- the hypocrisy that, like, you know, Perry's like, I don't think your brother. I don't know if your brother would want this. Oh no, I know. He told me he doesn't want this. He mm-hmm. thinks I should have forg- forgiven Henry. Um, yeah, he also couldn't get the job done. You know, I, it's it's right. fairly we great, and brother. I like that. We would follow him anywhere, but the truth is, he didn't change anything. And the, the thing is, is like when he says you did with Kathleen, I wonder did she actually do anything, or was she just a lightning rod for a whole community who lost like their one hope that they thought that could find you know someone that could maybe defeat Fedra or lead them to a better way, and they lost that person, and they were just able to channel that grief and rage into this orgy of violence that 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 kills the overwhelms fedra and like it's not mm-hmm. that michael was a bad leader it's just that he didn't have a catalyst because it's right, always but... yeah it's the breaking point like how yep. do you get a citizenry shocked out of inaction when they've been cowed for 15 years like what is the thing that's going to break enough 
You have to have multiple straws breaking multiple camels' backs all at once, and something like the death of Michael apparently was that for for Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, but 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 if you're in that, like you know, like my idea is like this might have all gone down. When do you think Michael was captured and put to death? Like I don't think it's more than a month ago. Yeah, not long, not long. So like people they're like i don't believe that guys like perry would follow kathleen it's like if kathleen was her dead brother who's given these speeches who are whipping people up and mm-hmm. like everybody's screaming and yelling her name like hell yeah you'd follow her because you're not thinking like oh this woman is not going to be great post a revolution what are we going to do you're just thinking that like you're just you're yeah, blood, yeah. just bloodlust it's just bloodlust revenge and it might be a thing where like you couldn't stop her if you wanted to you know i mean it's not a True. matter of like following her she's going to do things that are going to get you deeper into this as a group whether you like it or not so you either get behind her or you watch as your whole movement crumbles right she might just be a right. de facto leader because of how pissed off and gung-ho exactly. she is about changing it so and outside of being emotionally compromised, she could, I mean, she could be a perfectly capable civil leader as far as organizing things, doing logistics, even doing military strategy and stuff. But, like, she is so pissed off and so um, wounded by what Sam has done that that is compromising everything else. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Like I said, I, 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 I get it. Like, this is a character who's designed to be hated mm-hmm. um <laughs> you know she they're, they're written to be despicable and people are finding them despicable and so yeah, yeah that's that's fine but like i also think i think it's slightly wild that people like i don't see how anybody could follow this woman it's like well maybe in the first the, the last episode but like yeah, yeah i think yeah. this episode gives you like three solid reasons why people like perry would follow her at least in a short term uh-huh. And the tragedy is they're not going to have a long term to figure anything better out. Right, right. No, this you really, know, like, I, I did a 180 on her in this role of uh, yeah. Melanie Linsky in this role in yeah. in this episode. Because I, I was unsure of it. I wanted to give her more time. This is all the time she's going to get. So yeah. uh, I, I think they, they pull it off. You know, it is a different type of leader. Um, yeah. It's it's not the person you're used to seeing in charge. Um, but I think it was effective. And it's like, you know, there's all kinds of ways to be weak leaders, you know, and like I've seen sure. like uh, tons of weak male leadership. Uh, mm. I think about like Paul Reiser and aliens. OK, yeah, right. N- everyone hates that guy, but it's uh-huh. not like I can't fucking believe he'd be a corporate guy. Like, see, so how can you how can a guy that's spineless and sniveling and like. You know, like, well, I mean, there's tons of people like this that get into these kind of roles. Like, I, I don't know. They, I think it's really <laughs> funny to people be like, I don't buy, even if she's the brother of the revolutionary leader that was just unjustly murdered and is a sympathetic uh, figure that, you know, that, that that's like telling the people who are angry and pissed off that all they got to do is kill all the people that they're angry and pissed off. Like, you don't think in that per- that that person could be, again, not an effective leader, but a leader. In that circumstances, I don't know what to tell you. Makes me wonder about Jesus. the fireflies, um, right? In the Boston QZ, anyway. Uh, what what is the deal? Why can't Marlene get it done over there? You know, why can't does she not have the catalyst? Is it is it a case of well, the Fedra agents there were not nearly as abusive as they were. They find the people find them more tolerable in general. Uh, no brothers have been murdered, at least not that we've seen. 
it, it, right. maybe there just isn't the catalyst there because Marlene feels like, like somebody who could handle both the revolutionary aspect of that and perhaps the changeover of power as well. But I think that like the thing is that Fedra has a really good underlying message, which is we keep you safe. We are the thin sure. black line between the savagery outside mm-hmm. and the relative stability you have inside. And yes, we hang and execute people, but they're people that don't follow the rules and the rules, right, the rules keep, keep you us safe. safe. Like they, they, yeah. they use the Ishmael situation to underline that. That like here's these kids, mm-hmm. you know, like like Joel says, maybe they didn't follow the rules and that's what happened. You know, it's this isn't like a, a this isn't like a sophomore civics class where your teacher asks you to spit out your gum and you're gonna turn into a first amendment issue. Like it's like this <laughs> yeah. No, this is like you're you know, one of those like almost military situations which civilians don't usually find themselves in where like if a commanding officer gives you an order and you disobey it in certain circumstances he can just pull out his pistol and shoot you and that's considered justice Fedra's right. rolling a lot closer to that than the fucking bill of rights so mm-hmm. the, for the citizen to rise up they, they have to be convinced that not only is Fedra doing things that they don't like which of course they are but can the fireflies keep them safe? Like for the vast majority of people who are just following the rules and are trying to get by, would the fireflies be better? Or, um, or would the fear of the infected be more tolerable than the fear of Fedra? You know, and in Kansas City, the fear of Fedra overwhelmed them, apparently. Right. Overwhelmed right. That, that vibe. So like, yeah, it seems like in the Boston QZ, things are bad but better than they were in KC. And... Yeah the people have less of a reason to join up with the fireflies. Yeah. That's my, I, I, I uh, completely agree with your analysis to him. All right. Uh, let's move over to Joel's group coming out of the tunnels on the other side of the highway. They're walking down the middle of the freaking street here, uh, thinking they got out, but they ultimately attract the attention of a sniper. Joel flanks the sniper and kills him. Unfortunately, he's already radioed back to Kathleen, and I'm going to stop there because the rest of this is just a freight train to the end of the episode. One thing I found shocking that I got from the behind the scenes podcast, the official podcast, is that they built this city, this this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like, the this was not a location that they found. This is something that they used set. But I guess they ran out of like set construction. They were actually just hiring uh, in Alberta people to build houses, like just build yeah. shells of houses. And Talking about pouring they, foundations. All, I mean, they basically built a, a whole enclave of houses here. And it was kind of late in this. It felt like it was pretty late in the production process, too, that they decided yeah. we're just going to have to build this thing. There's no way we're going to have a night shoot. I get, I, 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 yeah, and there's going to be gunfire and there's going to be explosions and pyrotechnics. We have to have absolute control of this thing. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and again, they filled three nights of weeks to get five minutes of footage. But mm-hmm. I mean, damn, I'm so glad they did because it it honestly executed beyond my because I thought when I've seen the trailer and I saw the heaving concrete, I thought that somehow that building was going to get blown up in some kind of, and, and you're going to have like mm-hmm. a small scale you know, a couple dozen infected. I was not expecting hundreds of high pressure infected to pour out of that hole with the bloater and all that kind of stuff. So like all yeah, the decisions yeah. they made and I, honestly moving into night, probably I imagine those houses might not screw stand up to like the scrutiny of day. 
Uh, they're all overgrown and weedy and everything. But, like, everything just felt rock solid. And it's a real set that they can drive a real truck through, like Adam mm-hmm. Savage's Mythbuster episode where he's driving a snowplow through the highway full of cars. It's like they're able to do all those as practical effects. And, damn, it just it just, it just just really paid off. It sounded like it was a massive pain in the ass to budget. It's like, you know, you also you listen to this podcast and you see the reaction on how many people are watching this on a premium cable service. I, I'm sorry. I can't help but think what the hell AMC would have had on their hands if they gave fucking <laughs> Frank Darabont twice the budget for season two. That's the thing I keep thinking about. Yeah, I'm because the appetite's there, these, but the appetite's there for a prestige zombie, and they had it a decade yeah. ago. They had at that the market cornered. Yeah, and like you say, they, so at their their height, they had 15, 18 million people watching. They could have had fifty. It could have been like an old school. Network TV hit, I feel like. Uh, a basic cable, oh, man. I mean, I don't know. Part of it's probably HBO, and HBO can take it a little bit further. But I haven't seen anything that this show's done, really, that The Walking Dead couldn't have pulled off. Oh, sure, yeah, with the right amount of money and the right people behind it, yeah. Yeah, like, it's not like we didn't see gruesome fucking death. There hasn't been a lot of sex, Uh, you know, like, maybe they'd have to tone down the F word a few times, but... Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. They fucking fumbled the bag in the long run on that show. And seeing again, like, you know, it's like um, they build a flooded hotel scene for five minutes. They build mm-hmm. a whole fucking block in a neighborhood for five minutes. But, oh, my God, those five minutes do so yeah. much. No, like, like I said, it might be my new favorite episode because it encompasses like a lot of what the game is. Uh, and these action scenes are part of it. Uh, speaking of the game, it's hilarious to me. So, uh, So I didn't remember the sequence with ish uh down in the tunnels the safe house stuff and nearly as well as i should have because mm-hmm. i i think on the the instant take i was like oh well they did it a little more subtly they don't they're the, this is like straight out of the game the the entrance to the thing is drawn up as a castle just like in the show uh but here i vividly remember this whole sequence um mm-hmm. there's more than just one sniper and you're you're playing as Joel. So the idea is you're going to actually sneak around there and get behind this sniper, flank him and take him out. Uh, that took me at least 30 minutes of sneaking around, crouching behind the house, the house. You can't just run a half a block no. unopposed. There's dudes on the side. It's a whole shooting gallery that you're it's, it's a whole thing. And yeah. Joel does it in about four seconds. And I found that absolutely hilarious. <laughs> But but only, uh, the only op four was an old man with a, a sniper rifle and was shit right. aiming. There the weren't dark. a bunch of dudes there help, uh, supporting him. Uh, but they're making the right decisions on this stuff. I think like when you're adapting it to a television show, you don't want to sit there and watch Joel. No, you know, trade shots with this guy or sneak around and like worry that he's ducked behind the wrong window or something. You just want to you want to get the point across and get up there yeah. for the moment that actually is going to make an impact which is Joel not wanting to kill the sniper and I love the way they talk about this in the official podcast this is a big change in what I thought was like really going on here this old man who has probably just had enough of this life right this they're talking about him being about 80 years old in this which means he would have been 60 even even he's 65 like I'm thinking a guy like he could be me uh-huh, and then right the world now. goes to shit, mm-hmm. and I'm 65 uh, on the wrong side of 60 on, or on approaching 70, and I'm like, there's this guy 
do I and like do I fucking want to keep living or do I want right. to like do suicide by Joel? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a more powerful moment than I gave it credit for when you sit down and you think about it, um, and look at this man's actions and look at the way that Joel is reacting to it. He's definitely prepared to do what he needs to do there, and he's just asking the guy, please, I. I, this is gonna hurt, this is gonna hurt me as much as it hurts you, right? <laughs> it's one of those moments yeah, yeah. where like you may die from this, but it kills me a little bit to do it. And yeah, I don't want to do this. I don't yeah. have to do this. this and he, but he mean, will. He will. Yeah. It's just, yeah. man, how many times does this man have to take emotional damage before he can have something good? And it also makes sense too. I wonder if people will write in and be like, "Oh, does it make sense that Kathleen has one sentry looking?" I mean, this is outside their defenses. This yeah. is like, um, you know, like like an outpost uh, in the graveyard shift. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't they don't expect people to make it through the tunnels because the tunnels are supposed to be filled, and they are filled with infected. Yeah, uh, Henry had bad information on that. So, like, I think I think it's pro. Yeah, you got this old guy who's maybe not much else, not useful, but he's got a radio and he's got a rifle to scope. And what he did is he kept these guys pinned down until the larger force could get there. So it's not like, mm-hmm. I, to me, it's like, um, when I saw how this thing was going on, I was like, well, why do I believe that Kathleen would just have one dude here? But like, no, that's, yeah. So it makes I, I sense. Think, I, think it, I think it really tracks well and it sets up this moral dilemma for Joel beautifully. And Joel describes him as a, a shit shot with the, the rifle. And sure. he is that. He's very bad with it. And now when you see him, you get the impression that, well, maybe his eyes aren't so good, right? And there are no glasses in the apocalypse. As, it's, it's dark as fuck out there. Uh-huh. Like, uh, I, yeah, I can't imagine night sniping with no, like, thermal optics or something, you know? Sure. It's, it's, as an 80-year-old with probably glasses that broke 15 years ago uh, yeah. and no replacements. Yeah, I, I couldn't that, do that, too. Yeah. So, I don't know. I really like that whole sequence The, the other thing... And especially the, the run. We'll talk about it here in a second, but, yeah, that part of it. The um, I, I like also Joel's exasperation. This is going back to the quieter part of the scene where Henry is, mm-hmm. you know, crowing about everything being fine, and, like, Ellie's feeling it, too, and she's talking about them going... Like, Joel's face when she says, oh, we're going to Wyoming, and he's like, oh, my fucking God, this is like Bill when Frank invited everybody for dinner, right? Right, um, right. <laughs> and Ellie's like, oh, you know, Joel acts like he's a big tough guy, but I'm just going to ask him a million times. And then all fucking hell breaks loose. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, go from the we- quiet. And that's the other thing, too, right? Like, oh, man, Henry just in the middle of the street declaring victory yet again, right? Mm. What an incautious dumbass at times he just thinks he's won he's out there just almost shouting about the victory and then yeah of course they get spotted because they're walking down the middle of the damn street well as a guy who's 16 year old just started driving and insurance rates have gone up accordingly teenage teenage boys and caution they don't they don't they don't often go hand in hand you know it's true yeah just don't get him a red car apparently that's the death knell for your wallet yeah, yeah, he'll he'll he's pushing the 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 dour purple Pontiac vibe. I don't <laughs> okay, think. perfect. It's t- high amongst uh, cars to pull over teenagers in. But we'll see. Perfect. Well, I'll let you know a year from now. Uh, so let's get into the the bigger part of this scene here. Um, Kathleen's entire army drives up the street and uh, pins Henry, Sam, and Ellie down behind a car. 
and Kathleen's about to kill them all, but suddenly a massive group of infected, huge, uh, including a bloater, force their way up from the underground and start attacking her army. Joel uses his rifle from a sniper's nest to cover Ellie. Um, Perry gets his head ripped off by the bloater. <laughs> Kathleen gets eaten by a clicker child, and Joel's group manages to eventually escape. Now, when we go to the ad, make every shot count. We'll be back with more of Savage Starlight. We're not the cure for mankind, but we have your favorite podcast. Here's more of Savage Starlight. I've glossed over so many details in this scene, and they're all awesome. So let's talk about it. Um, I want to talk about something that that kicks off the scene, which is, uh, you know, like Ellie's freaking out and Joel's suggesting that they split up the group and she doesn't like that. Mm-hmm. And where Joel turns to her and says, do you trust me? Um, I think this is a big pivotal because there's another moment on the, you know, like five minutes from there where the tables are going to flip and Ellie's going to do something seemingly crazy to try to save Sam and, and Henry. And Joel can't protest. He's all he can do is choose to support her or not. And uh-huh. I just really liked her, him giving her like this overwatch fire support and like shooting. I, 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 I still feel very strongly that he is performing above his average level. Yes, because yeah. he is. You, you see it when he's shooting at the truck driver, right? It's like, okay, well, it's dangerous, but it's not like immediately yeah. dangerous. And he kind of can't hit the truck driver, even though it's not that yeah. hard of a shot. And then people uh, do that. Like, you know, there's the, uh-huh. you know, I was here to story about the mom that uh, lifts a car off her baby because she's got superhuman right. mom strength or like all of the TikTok compilations of dad reflexes where dudes are just watching television and their kids try to take a header off of a coffee table and they just like jump and make this amazing save or like it's sometimes yeah like even if you're a relative klutz like there's something that adrenaline can do to slow things down and make that computer in your brain can die coordinate and i felt like that's exactly joel well you know it wasn't superhuman because he Really want to take out that clicker girl, and he fucking couldn't. But that, well, in the shot that he's trying to take there is so close to Ellie. I feel like what's mm. happening is he doesn't want to hit Ellie, and the roof of the car, the minivan's obscuring. Yeah, like, if he just takes blind shots in there, yeah, yeah, he's he's trying to thread the narrowest uh, needle there uh, with that shot. So yeah, I I feel like. You have to be more careful. I the other thing I love about Ellie running around in this crowd and and that that idea like where he asks do you trust me is she he gets a nod from ellie in that moment um saying she does trust him and i think that's why she gives herself permission to go help henry and sam or at least partially part of it is she wants to help because she knows joel's not gonna let her get hurt but she trusts joel yeah she trusts joel to be able to hit these shots to keep these things off her back long enough to go save them and i think it's it's yeah it's a really big moment for both of them and it's such, you know, like it's uh, it's definitely writerly the way that like uh, there's multiple times where Sam's about to get a bullet and then it, things happen. But I thought they're also uh-huh. kind of natural, you know, like her giving this villain monologue yeah. speech gives time for the infected to pool and, and push that truck out of the way. And so wet a workshop, mm-hmm. if you don't recognize that name, they kind of made their bones um probably literally made a lot of bones during the production <laughs> of the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy in New mm-hmm. Zealand. They're New Zealand effects uh, workshop. And 
They did such a great job because not all of these are physical actors, but a surprising amount of the infected running around the scene are physical actors. They have like a good blend of people dressed up like clickers, uh, the digital bloater, um, also people running around in like green socks with balls glued out of them that are going to be digitally painted as they have to look more like, you know, because some of these infected are like running like fucking cats. Yeah. And then you've got the little girl who was a blend of, you know, like I, I speculate on the instant, they found some nine year old contortionist and say dressed her up like a clicker. And she did some of that, but some of this tricky stuff where she's going in and out of, you know, the, the car and like doing these, the, this, this uh, contortionist stuff in like the, the backseat of a minivan, they used her as reference and like digitally painted her into that stuff. Um, but all of it's incredibly effective and like yeah you can i think you can tell the bloater is cg you can yeah it's animation is not perfect in a shot or two but honestly it's but so it's, good it's not even that it's just more of like it's just like how the hell would they ever pull that off with a prep but like it mm-hmm. it's not it, it's not like where like oh this is obvious cg it's just like oh i don't know there's no like this I mean, I even believe it's a human body with like a CG face because like I just don't know how you do that face with mm-hmm. the and, and how up close it is. And it's just like in that, you know, that's the thing is like, I know I'm going to get this question. My feeling from playing the game is that one out of 10 infected be, live long enough to become like a stalker. You know, uh, there were like that, that dude that's underground um, that, that was underneath the sea store where their stocks are starting to come out of their face, but they're not quite blinded. One out of 10 of those guys live long enough to become a clicker. And like one out of 10 of those live long enough. Or it's like Craig mm-hmm. or Neil pointed out that it's not even about living long enough. It's like you have to have you have to be a large, powerful person to give the mushroom enough mass that it can cannibalize your body and convert it to mushroom. Mm-hmm. Most people won't survive that process, but if you're like an Andre the Giant, you're like a, uh, a Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you're you know uh, a Fat Albert type, for example. Like those type of people have the sheer mass to pull it off, and uh, mm-hmm. they're super rare. They're super rare in the game, but every fucking encounter one is memorable because you're just I, you know, play this game in a dark room, and I'm just literally running, screaming, dreading because like. <laughs> Unlike every other enemy where usually if someone gets their hands on you, you have and you have like a shiv equipped, you have a, a quick time event where if you react fast enough, if a clicker gets you, you can <clears throat> shiv it before it kills you. A bloater gets its hands on you and you're going to get treated to an up close, most horrifying death that you have ever seen. Yeah. And it's ter- It's I, I'm a little bit of a horror pussy anyway. It's terrifying. Every single time when these things bust out of the wall or the floor or the ceiling, it's like on and i for one i'm kind of glad that they didn't shoot that like shoehorn one in into the bill episode or the built up because man it's hard to get a bigger impact than it coming out in a black night against a fucking wall of fire and wrecking shop yeah and you see it tank all this damage you see it just like you said wreck shop on this army and then in what is an amazing final shot for this scene as joel and his crew escape it pulls up and we see all of them turn all of the infected, including the bloater turn toward Kansas city and start running toward it. And that is just like a chilling moment because you know, everybody there, all of their army is out here. All of their army just got overrun and killed. 
they yeah. have they're completely defenseless right and is this justice i mean this might be the closest thing to justice that we find in this episode um but you still have to ask is this justice because these people yeah. rose up against uh an evil regime in the kansas city, city fedra and then they you know did some things of their own they paid back that that injustice uh with their own injustices perhaps and now those actions are going to lead directly to them being killed themselves and this is almost like the only way it can end satisfactorily uh and and put like an actual end on the the cycles of revenge that happen uh is for an outside force like this for for something to come in and just say well we're not involved in this but we're we're putting it into it right and the the infected aren't doing that intentionally but that's the effect that it's having yeah and like people ask me like why is this game so amazing you know people have said like ah, i'm four episodes in i'm not sure if i'm seeing it and i'm always like well it's the characters it's this or that but like it's the themes too because i feel like the last of us is a kaleidoscope of like your moral principles and it's constantly shifting and it's like well is this acceptable is this acceptable is is this acceptable Mm -hmm. um is this level of sacrifice is this level of revenge would you do this how do you feel about this and the way this show is doing that where it's like yeah arguably this is all henry's fault but arguably it's also fedra's fault and it's arguably uh, you know also Mm -hmm. you know whatever bullshit caused the like it's you know and like what do you at what point do you ever get to where you can get to good and build on a good solid foundation you know right like if they killed all, if, if if they didn't have the infected to worry about and the people of kansas city were left to their own devices with kathleen and they killed all the fed or killed all the collaborators would they be able to build a stable society on that bone and bed yeah i i don't know um but constantly like um Kathleen saying like you know this world kids die Henry that's they they die all the time why is Sam so special and her like callous disregard for the lives of children and then the irony of her being killed by a clicker child Mm -hmm. like I I just think it's that kind of stuff where it's and and the game like the show doesn't like stop to give you to draw attention to these it's just it's just bombarding you with them and you know like to me playing these games are just like fuck i don't know like that's the it's um yeah it's it's a it's a weird melancholy a feeling that you get from playing these games not like a thrill of it like most video games when you beat it, it's like a pump of the fist and like oh my god i just like you feel like you survive an experience when you get to the end of the last of us games and i'm i'm really curious to see when the television audience gets to the end of this, like if if that's what they're they're up for, like yeah, are they up for like a grueling season where at the end it's just like you just feel like you're lucky to survive rather than you triumphed or you succeeded in anything? Yeah, I I don't know how that's going to play out. I'm I'm super curious to see if this is also. I mean, the story ultimately is about Joel and Ellie, so you can look at the Kathleen example and say, well, maybe this is also about Joel, because the thing that turned me against Kathleen finally and firmly was her refusal to let these kids go, who I view as innocents. Um, yeah. You can say Sam was with Henry when he did all these things, but what Sam did didn't mean? do these things. Yeah. And and it wasn't Sam's fault that his brother went out and got and it got the leader of the resistance killed sure. so he could get his leukemia meds. Sure. It she's not she she is someone who is willing to kill innocents for their involvement in other things they're in sort of uh, incidental involvement 
would Joel be that? Because the question has been put to him multiple times now. Have you killed innocents? And he refuses to answer this. And I want to know, I, I want to know what his answer is. And I want to know why his answer is that because he might view something he did uh, much like, you know, Henry getting the leader of the resistance killed. He didn't kill him directly, but Joel might, might have done something that indirectly got innocent people killed, you know, yeah. or maybe he hasn't done anything, but he's not sure. He's not mm -hmm. sure. What are we as an audience going to feel about Joel when he finally opens up enough to tell us what has obviously been going on in his head every time he's been asked that question. And we've seen like his like, yeah, like we saw how he rolled with the Henry punches of progressive like, yeah, or, or like. Is it going to change how we feel about Joel? You know, uh, when that's we find the thing. out like what does it mean the whole that thing. he, you know, that he's killed people? Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Um, yeah. Let's move on to this final scene here because this is another big one. Uh, Joel's group hunkers down in the motel. They talk about what effect the shit that they just survived will have on the kids. Uh, Joel invites Henry to come with him to Wyoming while Ellie and Sam are in the other room reading Savage Starlight until Sam asks her why she doesn't look scared. She tells him she is scared, scared of ending up alone. Sam reveals that he's been bit. Ellie said her says her blood is medicine. She cuts her hand and rubs it into his bite, hoping that will uh, keep him from returning. Then she promises to stay awake with him. Of course, they fall asleep. And when Sam wakes up, uh, he is infected and he attacks Ellie. Henry makes a snap decision to kill Sam and then kills himself when he realizes what he's done. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. It's like I I have no doubt that Henry because like it's such a wild scene. It happens so fast, like literally they come busting out of the bedroom. Sam on Ellie. He's tearing at her. Yeah. Um, Joel goes to intervene and Henry grabs the gun so he can't. And then Joel goes to go bodily separate them and Henry shoots at his feet. Mm -hmm. But then like Henry also processes that if he doesn't do anything, Ellie's going to die. And he just like snaps, kills Sam. But the cascading realization of like what <laughs> yeah. all has happened to keep Sam safe and he's failed at that and all the costs that maybe it's worth it, maybe it's not in Henry's mind. I wonder if Henry doubts that sometimes that when he's in a situation. But now that's fucked. And like all this death and destruction was for literally nothing. How can a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old man live with that in the moment? Yeah. And he doesn't. He doesn't. He just says, he nope. Can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, boy. And the other <laughs> Bella Ramsey, the sound that she made at the exact moment that, he, that she realizes that Henry's blowing his brains out is one of the most affecting sounds I've ever heard a human throat make. It sounds mm -hmm. exactly like that kind of like instant horror that gets choked off by the fact that it's too late, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, and, and combined with just, I mean, everybody in the scene is so amazing. The uh, Lamar Johnson is just crushing it with his yeah. realization. He, like you said, those layers that he's peeling back and going, "What was this all for?" Oh my God, I've just I have nothing. I have nothing left to live for. Um, yeah. And Joel, the entire time, realizing that he's realizing that and trying to talk him into giving him the gun. Right, just give me the gun. G give give me the gun. He's it, it's it's one of those things where like you can barely even hear Joel because you're watching. Henry the whole time 
And yeah. by the time I start to hear Joel is pleading with him to give him the gun, it's too late because he's yeah. already made his decision. And man, it's just devastating, especially with the scenes where Sam is like scared. Sam's so scared yeah. of this bite. It's ugh, crushing. And they're having Henry and Joel ponder about how it's easier for kids because they don't have anyone to rely on. But we know that in the wee hours of the night that mm-hmm. Sam had started like and and that that Ellie felt responsible. She felt that, you know, yeah. she let him down by falling asleep. And um, she also started to believe that, like, maybe I am special. Maybe I can save people. And this is, you know, obviously a very primitive way to try to go about it. <laughs> sure. You know, just literally, you know, like becoming blood brothers with this guy. But. Mm-hmm. the fact that it you know like and she wakes up and realizes, oh my god it fucking worked until she doesn't that stuff hit yeah. really hard and you can see the change like we this is the most kid like we've ever seen ella uh, um ellie mm-hmm. and at the end of this episode she is just all that's been torn away it feels like oh, will we ever see her get to be a kid again She's grown the fuck up at the end of this episode. Yeah, I mean, when they go out in the the final scene here and they bury Henry and Sam, uh, it's Ellie who tells Joel, we got to get moving again. Like that, that switch is flipped. It's, it's, it's a and he's disturbed at that. He's worried. uh He sees the change and it's like, oh God, that's why he is reluctant to move on because he's trying to like, oh my God, how can I, what can I do to fix this? And there's nothing. And they talk in the official podcast about how much of a how, how scary this is for Joel because he you know has lost Sarah before he's just witnessed another parental figure lose the person they cared about he sees this as as a, a future right they're on a very dangerous mission here this is the potential future that he's facing with Ellie can can he weather that I mean he probably sees himself much like Henry. Like if, if he loses Ellie, he might just put a gun to his head and pull the trigger like Henry did. Yeah. Cause he's lost, he's lost everything. He's lost his family. Right. I mean, I guess he could go see Tommy, but boy, would he have the, the wherewithal to do that? And one of the things I found touching, I I talked about this instant take, but um, I I know because the timing, a lot of people don't listen to that. Uh, what I thought was really touching is the fact that like Sam was going to go to bed bitten by this thing with all these fears of like, oh my God, am I going to turn into a monster? Will I still be me? Will I do this? Will I do that? And he was going to keep all that stuff to himself. And he finally mm-hmm. opens up to Ellie. But the fact that these children carried this weight themselves that night without any of the adults there <laughs> to help them. Yeah. Uh, I just thought that was so sad. Like to be inside Sam's mind and how scared he obviously is, but he was going to care. He was just going to go, like, what is he, what is he thinking when he's laying down at that hotel bed? And he's just going to curl up and go to sleep. Like, no, he's not. He's going to stay up all night wondering what the mm-hmm. fuck is going to happen to him. And, and wake I don't know, up as kid, a fungus kids creature. suffering to themselves. It's just, it's, I, I think it's super touching. And they, sure. again, this, this, this poor little kid, man. He's, uh, He's really adorable, this uh, Kevon Woodard, and uh, yeah, when he passes that pad over about like when you turn into a monster, you still you inside. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the official podcast take that like <laughs> Zombie Sam being deaf is proof that there's Sam still? I I don't know if I agreed with their logic there. No, I I totally think look, it's a physical trait. Right, it's not a yeah. it's not a mental thing that you're deaf. So like, like if he had if he had his legs amputated, 
and the zombie right. is crawling around. It's like, oh, look, it's just like it's no, there's a structural problem here that the mushroom uh-huh. couldn't route around, apparently. But the the way that in which I agree is that this is a very early stage infection and there has to be some line where you I and we've yeah. seen it we saw it with Tess, right? With her flicking yeah. the lighter. There was a yeah. line there where she is both things. She is her and she yes. is infected. She is one of these infected creatures. And that blurry line is where things get really disturbing. And I think Sam might be in that state. Yeah, they mentioned uh, and the thing I do agree with is that that they envision it as like being in an extraordinarily bad acid trip where sure. like you see your loved ones as violent things that you have to kill. And um, it's yeah, but like I but even then, like, are you you in the throes of an acid trip or are you in a literally altered state? You know, sure. Um, depends on the acid trip. Depends on. Yeah, there's a lot of things, <laughs> but yeah, there's one other thing. <sighs> terrifying. That- I've talked about how amazing this scene is. I have to talk about the thing that really fucking bothered me in this scene. And it's okay for Henry because he's an incautious dumbass in a lot of regards. Why would Joel in any world... My my parents wouldn't do this on a trip to Disney World, let alone in the zombie apocalypse. Why would they let the children stay with a closed door in a separate room? Hmm. This is this is maybe the most contrived thing I've seen on the show yet. Because like maybe is Henry Joel closing and Henry that door and letting stay up and talk like things through, like maybe things that would they would think the kids would be different. But I agree. Leave I'm... that door open. Leave that fucking door open. Yeah. Do not close yeah. it because yeah, yeah. That, that's very contrived in my opinion. But what are you going to do? It led to some really good moments, so yeah, I can forgive it. I guess. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, that's about all I got. Yeah, it's not all we got this week because we will have our feedback section uh, out on Thursday, or I guess a feedback podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. If you'd like to send feedback for that, tlou, T-L-O-U, at baldmove.com. Uh, you can follow us at twitter.com slash baldmove to f- keep up with everything that we're doing here in the Bald Move Network. Uh, oh, yeah, rate and review us on iTunes if uh, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. If you would be inclined, that would be... You know, take advantage of this uh, Savage Starlight <laughs> search engine bump that, uh, you know, really <laughs> maximize the exposure we get on on this. Um, I'm curious. I haven't seen the stats yet. I'm, I am curious to see if we do get a Savage Starlight bump. Yeah. Um, but Tilu at BallMove.com. We will be back uh, Thursday. We're on our regular schedule from here on out, probably. I don't know. Maybe they'll do something weird on, on uh, uh, Easter if we even overlap with Easter. But yeah, we'll have uh, the instant reaction on Sunday night. Uh, be a club member if you want to participate in that live or get access to the full. We only released instant take, not the instant talk to everybody. Support.baldmove.com if you want to get ad-free feeds, uh, extra bonus uh, audio content, and tons more. Check that out. Support.baldmove.com. That'll do it. Thanks for listening this week. We'll see you on Thursday and then again on Sunday night. Until that time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.